We've been at it long enough now that we've probably seen all the different approaches that you can do and all the different tools that are available, and they all have some advantages and disadvantages. So let's talk about that for a little while and focus on what what options are out there. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Money Speak, MBE Wealth Management's podcast dedicated to helping you learn the language of money. I am Mike Pruitt, certified financial planner based out of our Sun Prairie office, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jason Henrik, certified financial planner from our Wausau location. Jason, how's life treating you? Hey, I'm back in the office. We're getting back to normal here. How about you, Mike? About the same. I'm still working from home, but slowly working my way back to the office, so... Hopefully yeah. we're uh, a little bit more normal here. Our our state parks and everything are starting to open up in Wisconsin and the weather's getting nicer. So, uh, hey, you know, blue skies yourself. ahead, baby. Speak for yourself. They said 41 here tomorrow and a chance it's snow. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, use some of this new freedom to uh, work my way south here a little bit to try to find some of that nice weather. Come on down. It's supposed to be <laughs> yucky down here too, though. So, yeah. Um, okay. So we wanted to talk about college savings on today's episode. And it, I thought it was kind of ironic too, that considering most colleges now are operating completely uh, remote due to COVID-19. So, um, but it's an important topic and we get a ton of questions as planners about this. So, uh, Jason and I thought this would be a good time to address this. Um, so the approach we're going to take is, is this first off, we're going to talk about the cost of college and how that breaks down. And then, we're going to spend some time exploring the various college savings vehicles available to you out there listening. And lastly, I think we're going to hit on some of the ideas from a financial planning standpoint that you can hopefully uh, take away from this and, and implement with uh, your advisor or on your own. So sound good to you, Jason? That sounds absolutely excellent. Hey, did right. you hear, by the way, um, what was it? There's a bunch of kids now, and this is kind of going national, where a lot of students, college students, are actually suing their universities to get tuition back because they're not in their, you know, at their colleges. They're taking their classes from home. That should be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm thinking this is going to really, really create kind of a new world of. I think online education was already starting to be, you know, getting more and more prominent, and I think this whole situation is going to accelerate that trend quite a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how those things settle out. Because if a big part of your tuition and fees that you're paying for is all the in-school things that you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and you're not doing that, it's all online, how can they? But at the same time, I can see from the university standpoint, it's like, well, they have these giant buildings and somebody's got to pay for those. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. I just want, want to throw that in there. Go ahead. So I I wanted to test you real quick. Uh, so yeah, surprise because I didn't give you a heads up on this. Um, now I know the answer to the first part. Where'd you go to school? When did you graduate? I went to Virginia Tech uh, down in Blacksburg, Virginia, go Hokies, and uh, graduated <laughs> in 2004. Okay. Now, do you happen to remember what your tuition and fees were relative? Now, and, and I know it's hard because you would have been out of state, right? Yes, I was. Because you're you're from Wisconsin. So. I grew up just north of Wausau. You got it. Yep. Okay. Do you happen to remember what they were? And and, and I looked up the in-state around that time. So 
Hey, Mike, this is really funny that you say all this because I was thinking this morning about this conversation we were going to have today and a story that I, that I remember from a couple of years ago kind of popped into my head. So when I went down to Virginia Tech, it was one of the reasons that I chose it beyond the fact that the gorgeous campus, really good business school, I wanted to kind of get away and, and, and do something else. But one of the things was I didn't grow up in a, in a rich household or anything like that, where it was a lot of money. I had two hardworking parents, uh, but it was very, very affordable tuition. Um, they had a large number of grants and student loans and things like that. And I took on some student loan debt, but nothing crazy. Um, but, uh, for out of state tuition back then, it was about 15 to $16,000. Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. I had a conversation and I want to say this was back in 2015, maybe two, uh, beginning of 2016 with a friend of mine uh, who's actually in the business. He lived down in Cincinnati, Ohio, and his son wanted to go into engineering and, and tech also has a really, really good engineering program. And we got to talking about that because he had called me a couple times and asked my opinion on it and this and that. And we were at a at a conference and we got talking about it some more and he told me that he actually had to his son had to turn it down. Now, remember that number that I just said a little bit ago back in 99 to 04 was about 15,000 or so dollars, give or, give or take a few bucks yep. uh, per year out of state. His son, they gave him a tuition cost of $51,000 a year for out of state tuition. Yeah. That's roughly nuts. 12 years later. Wow. Yeah. Well, I went and I looked up the, I looked at 0304 because I kind of figured it was right around there. And <clears throat> I was just looking up in-state mm -hmm. and in-state was about five grand a year. And their in-state now is about, uh, let's see here, seven, 6,800 a semester. So roughly 14,000 a year now. Yep. Right. About so what I, I mean, paid for out-of-state, for, for out you know, 20 yep. years ago. Exactly. So, and what were, so what were you saying the cost of college, what, what, what are the increase numbers look like right now? So, uh, I found this, I found this, uh, this article, um, that, uh, that, that took a look at the average cost of tuition and fees. Um, and they, they took a look at for this year, the average cost, uh, was a little over $41,000 at private colleges about a, a little over 11,000 for state residents at public colleges and for out of state students at, at those public uh, schools was about $27,000 a year. Um, and that's just the basic tuition and fees. So you haven't even figured in a lot of the extras, obviously for those that have had yeah. kids go to college, all of the extras that go into it. Um, so what we've seen is what is that, uh, um, grown by 25% over the past 10 years, at least. And some schools far more than that, depending on um, a number of factors. But a lot of things that I've seen is obviously how popular they are to enroll in. It's, it's simple supply and demand. If you've got space yep. for 5,000 new students and you've got 15,000 applicants or 20,000 applicants, <laughs> you better believe that the, the, the demand is there and just like anything else, just like a gallon of gas or anything else, you can raise that price. Right. And they've done it. And what I found interesting too, was that it's, it's actually less, it's increased less at private colleges, um, 
compared to public, but it makes sense if you think about it, because a lot of these private colleges, how are they paying for their, their school through a lot of endowments and, and these huge funds that have done very well from a, an investment return standpoint, the public colleges don't necessarily, I mean, they have that obviously, but maybe not, not to the extent that the privates do. So, so I found that pretty interesting, but you're right. I mean, there's a ton of this, you know, there's a million different conversations and reasons as, as to why um, the costs keep going up. But I, I really, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with what you're saying. It, it really comes down to a supply and demand. We've created this culture that, you know, more or less requires a bachelor's degree to get into anything from a business standpoint uh, or a professional standpoint, I guess you could say. And that demand has just allowed these, you know, the schools to continue to, to charge what they charge. Um, now something I found interesting too, is if you compare that to wages, um, it's not even close. Uh, the, the, basically the price of a degree has more or less doubled, you know, over the last 10, 12 years, but wages certainly haven't. Yep. So, you know, two, two points with that, right? How do you do, how do you pay for college if that's happening? Because if you're going to pay with wages and then second of all, you come out of college with a career that really hasn't kept up with the cost to get the education to go into that career, right? Right. Do you do you remember? And you you might have gotten this too when you were in high school, and and uh, where they talked about you know all these infographics that showed how important it was to get a college education, and it showed you know average starting salary here for somebody with a four year degree, average starting salary for somebody with maybe an associate's degree, yep. and then average starting um, salary for somebody that only graduated from high school. Right. And it was this huge discrepancy, right? It was just this huge amount. And then they talked about lifetime earning potential and, and everything else. Well, I, I based off of that, you know, the, the we look at a lot of things from a return on investment. What's our return on investment for anything that we do in life, right? Right. And um, it might simply be enjoyment, but what is that return on investment? And I think what we've seen is that return on investment for college, especially for non-specific career. So if you don't necessarily know what you're going to school for and you th- and you might end up switching majors or switching career paths a couple of times, that return on investment has shrunk greatly. And, you know, especially here in Wisconsin, you know, these tech schools are really big, you know, uh, more, uh, more important here or more, maybe more prevalent here than a lot of other places. Um, I, a lot of it, I think that those have really picked up some steam as far as this post-secondary um, or this post-high school education, but into career fields that are increasing wages. And at the same point, it doesn't cost you as much as that four-year degree does. So it's right. been really interesting that shift that we're kind of seeing where it's like, all right, you know what? Not everybody needs to go to college to a four-year degree. If you if you want to go work um, in, in more of what would be considered, whether it be a blue collar or uh, more of a design, more of you know, some sort of technology type area, maybe a four-year college degree isn't necessarily for you. And, you know, we're starting to see that, which has been kind of interesting, especially since it got pounded into our heads so hard for so long right? about the importance of it. But 
Or maybe it's one of those where you table the idea and you go and you start working for the company and then let them help you pay for college. Let them help you pay for it. A number of people right? have started to do that. You know, you can start and and get a lower level job and maybe you're not getting paid as much, but shoot, if they're going to pay for party, we just talked about the cost. If they're going to pay for your part of your education, man, that uh, that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Well, speaking of how you pay for it, this is, I found this really interesting, you know, in, in looking into this a little bit more. Um, if you break down now, this is, so Sally May comes out with a annual how America pays for college report. And it, I think it comes out every summer. Um, and this is last year's. So it's looking at basically 2018, 2019 numbers and they compare it to the year before too. And, and not much has changed from 17 to 18, but when you break it down, basically approximately 31% comes from grants and scholarships. Um, 24% comes from borrowing. So students and parents borrowing. Mm -hmm. And then the other third basically shakes down to parent income and savings and student income and savings. So it, it almost kind of sees in about a third each where one third is coming from grants and scholarships. One third is coming from borrowing and one third is coming from pay as you go. Mm -hmm. Um, which I found interesting because, I actually thought there'd be a lot more borrowing in there. I was actually really surprised at the grants and scholarship number that that represents um, such a significant portion of this. And I think, you know, we, we're going to probably talk about this a little bit more in the planning part, but I think that just really underscores how important it is to go out and understand what types of grants are available. I remember when I when I went to college, I did it with the military. I went to the military and then went into college and they, they had a program where they paid for school in Illinois, as long as you did, you know, four years of active duty. Now, when I was, that was just kind of tuition and fees. But I remember when I got there, one of the first things I did was talk to one of the military reps at the time. And they queued me into a veterans grant through the state of Illinois that basically took care of all of my books for my whole, you know, my, all four years, I would have had no clue that even existed. So I think people just have to make sure that they're, you know, when you're going into this, make sure you're talking. And there's a lot of great professionals out there that actually know they, they niche in this very specific piece, which is yep. understanding all the grants and scholarships are available. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I was, and I was it, actually really surprised. Yeah. And it's year after year after year. You know, I just had a, I just had a really good call with a client last week and we got to talking, uh, her daughter's in college and, and, you know, been there a couple of years now. And the amount of grants and things like that that are still available that you can apply for year after year, even while you're in college. We all think about the the scholarship opportunities that you have in high school. You know, the big uh, scholarship ceremonies, unfortunately, they all got canceled this spring, but um, yep. that are typically around there and everybody gets a road of their scholarship. Well, through the school, they're there and those opportunities are there year after year after year. So parents really want to pay attention and make sure that their kids uh, are on top of that, uh, on top of those opportunities uh, to maybe get a little bit more money, even as college is going on. Yeah, good point. It doesn't start, you know, it doesn't end just because, okay, now you're in college it, the whole way through, there's opportunities along the way. So, yep. um, so looking at different ways to save, um, there are a ton of different ways out there. And I mean, I know, as long as you've been in this career field and, and same with me, 
Uh, we've been at it long enough now that we've probably seen all the different approaches that you can do um, and all the different tools that are available. And they all have some some advantages and disadvantages. So let's talk about that for a little while and focus on what what options are out there. Um, and if I were to ask you kind of, you know, what do you, what, what's the most prevalent one, obviously, when it comes to savings for saving for college, at least the one that's marketed the most. Uh, and you made a very, very, very good point there with the one that's marketed the most is the 529 plan. Right. And really here's why, um, it's done through, um, companies that specialize in doing that. Um, and you know, Wisconsin being Edvest and, and what is it? Uh, Voya tomorrow scholar. Tomorrow scholar. Um, uh, tomorrow scholar. So uh, the big ones, uh, 529 plan. That's the most well-known one because it's been marketed the most. Uh, doesn't always make it the best choice. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as, as everything has their pros and cons. Um, uh, but it's a very, very good plan. And part of the reasoning is, is you get these tax deductible contributions uh, for Wisconsin, it's up to $3,000. So that first $3,000 you put away in there per year, uh, you can take a deduction on your taxes. Uh, it also grows. You're not getting taxed each state. year. As, just, as just to clarify, state just tax state. deduction, right? Just not state. federal. Yep, not yep. federal. Um, but it also grows. It's not getting taxed each year. And right. as long as you use the money for what is now actually, uh, and they changed this in the past, what, year and a half? Uh, to also uh, qualified K through 12 education. But then it, it originally was yep. meant for post-secondary expenses. Um. Yeah, you I think that was the, the most recent tax bill, uh, the big tax changes in 2016, I think expanded that out to uh, the, K the K through, through 12. 12. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously, as long as you use it for that, it's tax-free. Um, you know, if you take it out for something else, you're going to get penalized, you're going to get taxed, everything else. But as long as you are using it for these types of expenses, you don't have to pay any taxes on that money. So it was allowed to basically grow uh, all intents and purposes. You put a thousand dollars in when the kid is a month old and it grows to $6,000 by the time they hit educate, you know, yep. um, college, you can pull that $6,000 out, pay for college, pay for a portion of a semester of college now. Right. Um, but you know, most people put away a little bit more than that, but the grand scheme of things is you can use it and you don't have to pay taxes on that money as it's been allowed to grow. Right. So, and I think it's, it's also important to remember too, that there's, all the every state has a 529 program or or two uh and you don't have to use your own state right, right. you can use any state you want um because like you mentioned each each state is you know uh, when we look at um you know our state with edvest uh and tomorrow scholars that's two separate companies that run those programs but if somebody said well I don't like those investment options I want to use a different state's you can, but you don't get the state tax deduction. Right. And and it's important to note too, that that state tax deduction isn't available in all states. So your, your state has to, um, has to also kind of recognize that, that benefit. So anybody who's listening to this and, and maybe you're in a different state, um, you know, you've got to really understand your state's program. So you don't necessarily have to use your own states, but know that you, there could be a tax benefit to you at the state tax yep. level if you do so yeah something to make sure people understand. i believe uh california is one i'm not sure uh, i know that they do not have any state tax yeah but but it's important to do the research too because you know it could be that a different plan in a different state 
uh, offers maybe investments that you'd prefer and it outweighs the tax benefit that you're going to get. Because um, right. you'll still get the, the tax-free growth and the preferential tax treatment if you take it out for qualified expenses. So there's kind of three pieces to the tax standpoint of this, right? It's piece one, do I get the deduction? Uh, piece two, does it grow tax-free? Piece three, if I take it out for qualified expenses, will it be tax-free at that point? All states, the last two, two and three apply. It's just number one, do I get the deduction? And that's where you have to decide as, as an investor, what's more important to you. And, and that's where, you know, working with a planner or an advisor or somebody that specializes in this area can really help. So, yep. You got um, what about the contributions to the 529? Cause that's another important piece. The, um, the amount that you can put in, you got your, you got your gifting amount, right? Which is 15,000 this year. Um, and you can lump those together where I believe you can do five years in one shot uh, as far from a gift tax standpoint to get it up to the 75,000. So if, if you've got, um, you know, grandma and grandpa, in some cases, a lot of cases start these 529 plans. So you've got little Sue and little Joey, uh, that you want to each contribute the maximum amount that you can to avoid to have any, any, you know, file any extra, uh, forms for taxes, anything like that. Um, where you could stick, hey, little Susie here, here's your 75 grand going into your 529. Little Joey, here's your 75 grand going into your 529. You can do up to five years in advance uh, yep. as far as contribution amounts um, for each of those to be able to, you know, like I said, avoid all the little tax issues that may come about from doing extra. Right. Right. So I think one one other thing to recognize with the 529 is investment options. And when you start looking at other choices to save for college, this can make a difference because the 529 plan is, again, it, you know, it's organized through the state, through that specific company. They're going to have very specific investments that you can use. Mutual funds, um, most states, it's based on, you know, they'll have a couple different types. They'll have um, you know, kind of an age-based, you know, where if you're going to college in these particular years, that's what you invest in. And then it it tracks accordingly. And as you get closer, um, it, it moves to be more conservative. Um, they also have, you know, maybe more of a, what I would say, I guess, is a risk tolerance based where it's, you know, do you want to be aggressive, moderate, conservative? And then they typically have kind of that a la carte where here's the funds and you can build your own. Um, whereas, you know, in, in other options that we're going to discuss, um, you, you can do kind of whatever you want, right? So that's something to recognize in the 529 is your investment options are limited to what the 529 program offers. Kind of like a 401k, right? Here's your choices, uh, pick and choose. A, B, C, or D. Yep. Yep. You got so, it. Why don't you break into what, you know, one of the main other ones that's, I guess you could almost call it a cousin of the 529 plan. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Coverdale? Yeah. So the Coverdale is definitely something that, um, you know, it, it, it has its merits. I think one of the, uh, one of the advantages when we talk about the Coverdale, um, with regards, you know, comparing it to the 529 is, um, it's, it's considered, it's a Coverdale ESA. So an education savings account and, and that, you can really use it as a brokerage account. You can invest however you want. Um, but one of the biggest, I guess I would say drawbacks to that is, is very small in terms of what you can put into this. Um, it's $2,000 a year um, can be added 
to an account like this for a beneficiary. So whereas we're saying, you know, on the 529, you could theoretically go up to $75,000 into this thing, um, which most people obviously aren't doing that, but um, the ESA, so the ESA gives you the advantage of really um, controlling your own investments, but uh, the amount that can be put into it is very, very small. Um, and there, the tuition and fees, uh, the qualified expenses for the Coverdell are limited to just basically tuition and fees. Um, whereas the 529, you can actually use it for a, a lot more than just tuition and fees. I mean, it can be used for, you know, books, supplies, computers, basically, if you can somehow tie it into the education, uh, it can be used. So, um, yeah, I yeah. think that's, that's one of the, probably the biggest differences. I actually, and I, my guess is you're the same way. I very rarely see the Coverdell used anymore. It's primarily the 529. Yeah, it's, and, and that's because frankly, it's probably been marketed better. Uh, Coverdell has, does have some nice benefits that are with it as far as, yeah, the investment options, you can become much more um, free reigning, I guess you could say, as far as how you want to invest that. Uh, But they have some weird little rules, you know, you gotta, all the funds have to be taken out before the beneficiary turns 30. What if, you know, like I said, with a 529, you know, you can start one up for somebody to go back to school, or if you don't use it all up for the kids, you can change to yourself as the beneficiary to go back to schools. Whereas with the Coverdell, it's, it's much more, uh, uh, it's much limited. more restrictive. Yeah. The $2,000 per year per plan, uh, that's not going to get you very far. Um, right. For one thing, it also has income restrictions. I believe it's I yes. something like, like $110,000 for a, uh, a joint couple. I, I believe that's the number. And you'll maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong it's, there. You're, you're right on the number. It's 110 on the single filing. It's one, yeah, it's 220 right. on the joint. So it's got the phase out, which a lot of programs like Roth IRAs and things like that have, where for a joint filer, uh, between 190 and 220, it starts to phase out. And once you go over 220 as a joint filer or 110 as a single filer, you, you can't contribute anymore. Yeah, you can't even do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's $2,000 is better than nothing. But as Correct. we kind of talked about yeah. before, um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it struggles a little bit. The 529 plan was kind of to take over. In fact, the Coverdell uh, for a long time, it was really not even thought of uh, because it yeah. had so many flaws to it. It's kind of made a little bit of a comeback here, uh, mostly because probably because there's, there's greater options within that than, um, than maybe a 529 as far as investment options. Yeah. That usually where I see people using something like that is where they want to specifically buy a stock or two. Yep. Right. And so they can do that inside of a covered L. They can't do that in a 529, but they can also do that in a couple other options that people use for college savings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, just a non-qualified account, you know, just a joint husband and wife opening up an account and saying, hey, we're not we're not so sure if little Johnny's going to go to college or not. We, but we got some extra money to save. Um, and then if it's there for him. Great. If it's not, or if he doesn't use it, great. We've got it for something else, right? Now, non-qualified account. There's no tax benefits to it. You're just you're just plugging money away into a non-retirement account that can be accessed at any time. You know, you might be paying cap. You're hoping that you're paying capital gains um, yeah. on it, and you're taxed each year. You get a, a form each year from your from the from the company as far as uh, capital gains, dividends, interest, things like that. You're paying taxes each year on it, uh, but you have a lot more flexibility as far as how that money gets used. So that's an option. Um, I don't know if you want to break into the IRA and Roth IRA distributions option. 
if you're going to use something like this for college, so let's say the Roth IRA, that's probably going to be the one that's, you know, most likely used in this situation. Um, the advantage to the Roth IRA, just like we talked about, it's kind of open architecture depending, not always, right? You have to think a little bit about where the Roth IRA is held, but you can, you can put money away in that for retirement. Um, you can basically pull the money out. Uh, and you gotta get a hit your, your five-year rule and your, um, you know, it has to be used for qualified expense. Otherwise you get the 10% penalty on early withdrawals. The money you put into the Roth, like anything is you're always able to take that out because it's after tax, right? Yep. So that's another big, you know, one of the advantages to the 529 is you get that, you know, piece one of that, which is uh, of the tax uh, treatment that we talked about is you get that deduction. You don't get that in a Roth. You're, you're putting the money away after tax. Um, and then, you know, the, the key is, is if you're withdrawing earnings and you're going to use that for qualified higher education expenses, then, then you get that preferential tax treatment. Yep. So, um, again, limited though, by the investment, uh, amount, right. You have to follow the Roth IRA rules, uh, you've got the phase outs involved. You've got the maximum investment of a Roth right now, 6,000 yeah. uh, on the extra 7,000 or the extra thousand to get a total of seven in that catch up provision. Um, so again, you know, when you're looking at the 529 plan, clearly it gives you a huge opportunity to put a ton away for this. Um, but you know, the Roth, if you end up not, you know, little Johnny or little Susie doesn't go to college or they go in a different direction. Well, that money then you can use for uh, your own retirement. Yep. Yep. So. And you can continue to use it. Um, and I'm a big fan of things that we can have multiple uses of money for. And that's just kind of my personal preferential, you know, yeah. thought is I'm a big fan of, of not, uh, of, of having something that, you know what, because let's be honest, if the last two months has taught us anything, uh, life can change in an instant and no doubt. things can happen. And if we have something that we can use it in multiple directions uh, for multiple things as they come about in our lives, uh, that, that, that part always intrigues me uh, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like I said, I don't, my three kids, uh, I'm hoping all three of them get scholarships, full rides somewhere. Um, probability of that happening is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, having a little bit in this type of thing, a little bit in this type of thing to try to, uh, have multiple uses out of it, depending on what they end up doing. Yeah. You know? Flexibility. Hey, that brings up a good point. Um, what happens when you have a 529 plan and your child ends up uh, getting some type of scholarship? Uh, first of all, pat yourself on the back. You've done a great job with your child. <laughs> good parenting. <laughs> no, good work. Uh, great, great parenting, especially now in this homeschooling era. Uh, I hope that they like long division once my kids go back to school. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, what you can do is there's a couple of different options. Let's just say you have two kids and first one's going through first one's smart as a whip, whatever else, uh, they get their scholarship. You can actually take some of the, you can actually take that money. Let's just say it pays for everything. Uh, you can take that money transferred to the second kid. Right. Right. Uh, and now you, you may not have to. Uh, put as much in for the second kid. Um, it may be plenty. Uh, you may have over, you know, but it, it, it will help, you know, with the kids further down the line. Think, think secondhand clothes. The other option is, is what you can simply do is withdraw the amount 
up to the scholarship without having to pay that 10% penalty. The only thing you will have to pay is that, uh, that the taxes on the earnings. So right. you put, if you, if, if you put 5,000 in, and this is a figure that most 529 companies are going to figure out for you, but if you, you know, it's the percentage of earnings. Uh, but if you put 5,000 in and it grows to 10,000, let's just say, and then you could get $10,000 scholarship. Well, that's a pretty easy one. You can withdraw the $10,000 and you're paying taxes on that $5,000 gain, but you're not paying a 10% penalty uh, because I, I think it was because they don't necessarily want to, um, you know, obviously you don't want to punish the kids for earning something like that. Right. Yeah. What about uh, life insurance? So this is another interesting one um, that can work uh, if used correctly. And, and the reason that I say that is, is because I don't want to get all into the specific types of life insurances uh, that are available out there. But there's there's some that, that I don't necessarily favor when it comes to situations like this. You know, when we're presenting options in front of our clients, um, one of the options that we will talk about sometimes is um, using a good cash value type life insurance company, using the cash value buildup in, uh, in there uh, to help pay for college. Now. Uh, some interesting things about that, and we haven't really gotten into a whole lot today about financial aid and things like that, uh, what financial aid offices look at. But one of the things that they yeah. don't is retirement accounts, and then they also don't look at um, life insurance because they always look at life insurance as being, well, that's what it is. It's life insurance. So if somebody were to get like a cash value life insurance policy, you know, you're sticking money away. That cash value continues to grow. Um what you can do is you can access up to your basis. So if you, you over 20 years, you were putting a thousand dollars away into your life insurance policy and your cash value is $20,000. Let's just say, you know, for nice, even round numbers, every case is going to be a little bit different, but yeah. uh, you could take that $20,000, use it for whatever you wanted, whether it be college or a new car for the kid or whatever else, or their wedding or however else it all plays out. You can take it out there and up to your basis, you're not paying any taxes on it. And above your basis, you can use different things like, um, you know, loans against yourself to be able to use it um, uh, to help pay for college or whatever else. One of the things I just I, I like about it is, once again, multiple uses of money. Um, right. You know, you can use it for that. You can use it for whatever else. If they do get a scholarship, you don't have to you don't have to take it out. You can you can let it go for for, a you know a nice cash bucket down the line um, or whatever else you might want to use it for. Um, so that's, that's another option. I, like I said, I lean more towards just pure cash value uh, when the, there's a number of different life insurance type policies out there. Sure. Um, I like the ones that um, you get that nice little growth out of. And uh, once again, the nice thing about, cash value life insurance, once again, is that money up to your basis is considered principal. So up to what you've put into it is considered principal. So you, by nature, are getting that withdrawing those cash values tax-free. Right. Well, and you hit on something too, that if, you know, we can talk about this on a different one, um, but is that, you know, the impact of financial aid on these different um, investment vehicles, whether it be, you know, and, and there there's, two views on this, right? There's, is it counted as an asset? And then what happens when money comes out? Because in the case of like a Roth IRA, it's not counted as an asset. However, withdrawals 
do count as financial aid income. And, and that at, is included in these calculations. When they look so, at prior, prior year correct. income, uh, yeah. they look back at that. Uh, you know, yeah. and it was interesting. And, and I don't know if it was this way when you first started, but I remember when I first started, it was really looked at like grandma and grandpa should have the 529 plan to get it out of mom and dad's name. That's what a lot of people said. And it was crazy. And now what they've done is they've become, they've, they've really kind of, I don't want to say they've cracked down on it, but they've taken that benefit away and they've kind of, right. kind of given it back to the family. I remember, like I said, when I first started in the business, it was a lot of, well, have grandma set up right. a 529 plan. Well, there's really no reason to do that like there was before. And maybe there wasn't any before. Maybe it was just a lot of misinformation out there as 529 plans became popular. Um, but in reality, it, it's, you know, a lot of these things, what you're trying to do is obviously for purposes of financial aid, um, you know, you, you're trying to show as little as possible. So if, if you've got a kid that's got $40,000 in cash sitting in the bank, well, that's probably not going to be too helpful, right? Right. So. Well, I think if nothing else, this whole this whole conversation kind of underscores why it is so important to sit down with a planner that really understands all these aspects. Because, you know, if you think about it, you have a child, you have 18 years to basically save up for college, right? It, for, yep. for, for the most part. Imagine, now, and, and here, here's the way that I look at it. Imagine if you want to retire at 65, right? Yep. That's like starting to save at 47. Right. It's not a long time frame. It, you're right. It's very, it is a short time frame. So you have a limited time frame. So you need to make the most of that time value of money concept. Um, but you also have the challenge of, I don't know. I mean, my, my kids are 12 and 10. I still don't know what college has in store for them or, or if college even is in the future for them. So it's hard to say to somebody who just has a child who's a month old to start loading all the money into a 529 plan. Right. And I think a lot of that, and, and maybe this is a good spot to kind of shift gears um, and talk a little bit about the planning side of things. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges that people have is how do you know early on what vehicle to start saving in? Because if you commit to a 529, well, we've discussed it. You know, it has to be used for qualified, you know, educational expenses. Um, so it, before we before we do the planning piece, I do want to just touch on one more option for people, and that is the custodial accounts. Yep. Right. So UGMAs and UPMAs. Um, and I think this is another common use. Um, the you know custodial accounts get preferential tax treatment because they're, without getting into the details, they're taxed kind of in, in, at a minor level at first, which you know kids aren't working, so there's a little bit of a, a break in terms of their earnings. Um, right. The taxes on the earnings inside the the custodial account itself, it is a completed gift as soon as it's put in there, and it, it becomes the child's. You know, for most places, I, I want to say it's a state by state basis. Um, like in Wisconsin, the age of eighteen, they can get they can get it. At the age of twenty one, they can actually force the custodian's hand and say, "Okay, I want this for me now. Yep. Change it to my name." Um, so it's and and then they can use it for whatever they want. So that's an important distinction too. Is that there's some good tax treatment there, um, but it's it can be used. There's a lot of flexibility, right? It can be used for college. Uh, it could turn around and, and the 
child could use it for a down payment on a house when they're 20 some years old or, or to purchase a car. Or uh, if you end up with a child who kind of goes astray, uh, that money can be used by them for whatever they see fit. So that's, yep. which is, uh, which is kind of like the pro and the con, right? Is in any one of these, most of these solutions, all these things that we've talked about, they're not perfect. And that's why there's, yep. that's why there's six of them or whatever that number yeah. is that we've talked about is n- none of the solutions are perfect in every single scenario. Um, and you know, yeah, like I said, I've always thought about, man, if I would have been 21 and gotten, you know, X amount of dollars, uh, I can tell you what it wouldn't have been used for anything productive. Um, you know, <laughs> so, no doubt. um, no so doubt. that's always a little bit of the concern there with that, but obviously it's nice to, um, have those multiple things that you can use it for. Well, giving money to your children, you know, yeah. and helping them out better yeah. road than we were on. Yeah, no doubt. So, so let's talk planning, you know, from a, from a financial planner standpoint, what would be some of the first questions you'd ask, um, ask somebody who comes in or some of the things that you think about from a financial planning standpoint, uh, the conversations to have. So, and that's, and that's an interesting question. And I think, I think the biggest thing you want to start off with, you know, asking beyond, Hey, do you have kids? (laughs) You know, that's the basic one. Um, but then, you know, as we kind of break down with people, you know, what kind of kids do you have? What do you see them doing? What, you know, do they want to follow in your footsteps? Whatever, whatever footsteps that may be, do you see them wanting, have they shown an interest in what you're doing? If they've got just an infant, it's, it's obviously a little bit difficult. It's what kind of, how much do you want to help out your children later on in life? You know, yeah. I mean, there's a number of people that say uh, they're on their own. They hit 18. Right. See ya. Good luck. Yeah, you can borrow fine. for college. You can't borrow for retirement, right? That's one of the common lines we hear. Yeah. So um, it's 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 good luck. They're on their own. It's other people say, you know what? I want to have everything paid for. I want to do this. I want to do this. Um, you know, obviously things can change between, um, you know, whatever age the kid is and going into college. Um, and that's why, you know, so asking those questions about how much does a parent want to help? What How involved do they want to be in that future of their, their children? I think it's the biggest one for me. Now, what about you? I mean, what's, what's one of those big questions that you ask? Uh, along the same lines, I, I really like to find out, especially from young parents is how important is college, you know, to you? I mean, some people it is, I, I'm not helping my child if they don't go to college because it's that important to them. You know, yep. and I, I see that from a lot of professionals, maybe the ones that come from families where college was you know, multi-generational, right? Grandma and grandpa were in college. Mom and dad were in college. They're in college and they want college for their kids. Um, those tend to be probably more of the 529 investors, yep. right? Because they just know from day one, this money is dedicated to college. Okay. Um, so I, I really do like to understand a, a lot of that. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize all the options that are out there. Right. So I think from a planning standpoint, that's one thing that uh, investors who are working on their own or anybody working with a planner really take some time to understand the pros and cons of of all of these different things. Because you said it earlier and you've hit on it a few times, flexibility is everything. You don't have to put all the money into a 529. 
right? You know, you, you could have some of it in a 529. You could have some of it in a custodial account. You could have some of it in, you know, a non-qualified investment account where um, you really, you know, if if things go the way they should in, in your life and the way you hope it will, um, then that money can be used, you know, in the non-qualified account for the kids and, you know, and, and for college and, um, maybe not, you know, if, if it doesn't go the way you want it, or, I mean, you have that flexibility, right? So I really like that idea. And and I like to present that to clients in the beginning is to say like, how important is this to you and how much flexibility do we need to have? And another thing is who's going to be putting into this, right? Yep. Yep. You know, grandma and grandpa going to be helping with this or aunts and uncles, you know, I have some clients where, um, they don't have kids and they're not going to have kids, but their nieces and nephews are very important parts of their lives. And they're actually going to be putting in uh, money on behalf of them. Yep. So, you know, really, really taking the time to understand that I think is important too. Yeah. So it's just, it's a matter of understanding what somebody's looking for. And then finding the right solution or solutions uh, to be able to match up with that. And I think that's where every every client circumstance is is unique in its own way, you know, um, in that one solution for somebody, that next person that you're meeting with may not be the next, the, the right solution for them, you know. Um, so make sure if somebody's sitting out there and they're talking to an advisor and the advisor put out, you know, they walked in for that meeting. Advisor found out they had a kid and they said, boom, here's your 529 plan or boom, here's your right. X, Y, Z. And this is the solution for you. Well, yeah, pump the make, sure to, make sure to ask some questions to find out if that actually, how that fits in, A, how that fits in uh, with you, but how that fits in with your overall plan. Because every dollar that we put into one place uh, by nature, right, we can't put it into another place. So if I line yeah. up five buckets in my office, if I put a dollar in this bucket, I cannot put that same dollar in a different bucket. Right. Right. So that's, and that's one of the things that I talk about is, is, is having, whether it be like even a 529, when I talk about multiple use as well, if you've got multiple children and one of them doesn't need it for whatever reason, you can still use it for the other one, or you can, you might want to go back to school yourself. So it's a good multiple point. Uses, yeah. But it's looking at, it's looking at everything from the standpoint of, we don't want to back that money or that dollar into a corner and say, this is the only use for it. And man, if it doesn't get used for that, I'm going to get beaten yeah. up. Yep. Yeah. So, um, it's something else too, that I think is, and this is, you know, that that's kind of the, the advice more geared for the younger parents. But I think one of the things that is often overlooked and we kind of touched on it in the very beginning about the cost of an education and what you get when you come out. And I think this is the conversation that parents have to start having with their kids is, you really need to start thinking about this return on investment concept, right? And the idea that, look, if, and this is not meant to um, bash any degree or one over the other, but if your goal is to get a a degree in liberal arts and your your plan for, for that is a career in something that pays, comes out of the gate paying $50,000 a year, well, you're going to have a lot of expenses to go with your new life, right? You got to pay the rent, you got uh, an auto loan, all these things. So if you go to a school and you rack up $200,000 worth of student loan debt, 
to find a career in something that's going to pay you $50,000 a year, you have to accept the fact that you are going to owe for a long time on that. Yep. Um, and maybe if that's the career route you're going to go, maybe you look at an alternative where you're going to go to a junior college or some type of program like that for the first couple of years, or you're going to be, maybe you take a little longer to go to school because you're going to be working throughout it. So you don't come out with the debt. Um, I think that's a conversation that not enough people have and are extremely surprised when they get their, uh, you know, they get their degree at the school they went to for four years. It was wonderful. They went out of state. Uh, they have a loan of $150,000 now and they don't, they don't have a, they can't find a job or, and, and that really stinks or they can't find the job that's going to pay them what they want. So I think you really have to plan for that too. What's my career prospects going to look like with this degree? And again, I'm not saying don't go for what you want to do in life, but you have to think about what, what is that going to cost over time and how long is it going to take to pay back? Right. Does that make sense? What's your return on investment, you know, at the end of the day. And some people don't care, you know, some people, uh, they're like, uh, I want to go do whatever I want to do and we're going to pay for it and it's good to go. Right. Um, most people aren't like that. So we have to look at it too, from the standpoint of what are we going to get back out of this? And, um, one of the things that I, that I always tell when I talking with younger people, um, look at the, if you have a passion for something. Okay. So whatever your passion is, whatever you feel like you could, you could have as a good career, look at the job growth prospects of that, you know, because that's important too. You know, if there's, if you really love something and you're willing to pay X amount of dollars, but there's only three openings in the state of Wisconsin, let's just say over the next 12 months, you know, average of three openings a year, your chances of getting that job are probably pretty slim. Um, So look at the, look at the job growth of it. Look at the future of it. You know, think about it from that standpoint of is, is, you know, measuring that in between. All right not only how are we going to pay for this, but how are we going to come back out of the hole, whatever hole we're digging? What are the, what are the, what are the possibilities and what are the ways to do it? So, yep. You know, paying attention to all that stuff is important. And like I said, for some people, frankly, probably don't need to go to college. Yeah. Don't want to go to college. Don't feel, and I, and I say this to kids, don't feel forced. You know, if you feel like, you know what, I, I can do exactly what I want to do with my life. Um, and I can go to trade school or I can go to, uh, get an associate's degree or I, maybe I can start right out. Um, you know, maybe you might decide in five years, you know what? I want to go back to college. Go then. Right. Um, you know, everybody's path is going to be different. I think it's our job as advisors to, uh, figure out that path and figure out how to be the best guidance we can be uh, for our clients and their kids. Yeah. Um, good way to end it, man. I think this was a a real good conversation. And I do think, you know, one thing that might benefit our listeners is, uh, I think maybe me and you should get on somebody that is a a, kind of an expert in the world of the FAFSA and understanding that process. Cause I know there are some around Wisconsin, uh, where that, that's their entire company and career is to really help counsel people on that. So, um, well, cause well, there's a ton to this, Mike, you're talking about adding a third person to this, to this podcast. 
Well, we, I mean, we, we spice gotta, it up a little bit. We need gonna, to find then somebody then with. We're gonna name it. What are, uh, the three amigos. <laughs> I mean, what are we gonna do here? Hey, All it's right. catchy. It's catchy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So no, this this is good, and and hopefully people get a lot of uh, a lot of use out of this. I think you know we were, you know, we covered a lot of ground in terms of what the different investment options are. And the conversations that, you know, parents and kids should be having and, and what they should be thinking about. But I think, you know, that if I were to sum this all up, I'd say it comes down to, you know, understand your options, uh, know, know the flexibility that comes with certain things and, and what's important to you in your life. And if you're going to do it on your own, again, this isn't meant to say you have to have a professional, but there's a lot to know out there. So do your homework. Um, Savingforcollege.com is probably one of the best websites that with yep. so much and, and information, it, it is, it is terrific. Um, check that, reach out to us, you know, reach out to your financial advisor. I mean, everybody, you know, we, we understand the nuances of these things. And, and a lot of times I think when you're working with a professional, the biggest thing is, is Jason, you know, the questions to ask, right? The consumer a lot of times doesn't know what they don't know. But we know the questions to ask to start getting the answers to help them in the right direction. And that's probably one of the biggest things. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'd encourage anybody, if you got questions on any of this, you know, by all means, shoot us an email, um, you know, ask a question on our website, uh, hit us up on social media and, and throw a comment out there, ask a question. We're always happy to help. So. Uh, any last, uh, tidbits or words of wisdom you want to add there, buddy? Hey, is this when I tell my joke? Fire away. We didn't uh, get to it last show. Hey, get it. Hey, so what's the difference between people in, uh, Abu Dhabi and people in, uh, let's just say Beirut. I don't know. So people in Beirut do not like the Flintstones. And people in Abu Dhabi do. Oh my gosh! Oh, dad joke <laughs> level. Dad 100. joke level eleven, right there, huh? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that'll put a bow on this show for for us. Uh, thank you, everyone, for for joining and listening. And like I said, if you got questions or comments, uh, feel free to fire away. You can find me Mike Pruitt at mbewealth.com. Uh, Jason can be reached at Jason h-e-n-r-i-c-h at mbewealth.com uh, you can find us both on social media all over linkedin facebook things like that our website www.mbewealth.com and that'll do it for us thanks for joining everyone thank y'all money speak is hosted by mbe wealth management a registered investment advisor views expressed in the show are of the hosts and guests only Information contained in this show should not be considered investment advice, tax advice, or personal recommendations. Consult your financial or tax professional with questions. Advice may only be provided after entering into an advisory agreement with MBE Wealth Management.